we need to talk. No, we need to talk. That's a loaded phrase, isn't it? It's, I don't know if a chill fills the room or if just tensions rise, everyone's on edge. You know, you need to sit down for this. We need to talk. What a loaded phrase. When you consider the things that Luther had gone through as a boy, as a student, a bright student, a legal student, and then terrified, saying that he'll become a monk, thinking that he would find solace and peace in this, then finally given a chance to study the Bible and start seeing things for what they really are. He takes a thousand-mile walk to Rome by foot, right? He sees corruption, gross corruption. And just down the road in Wittenberg itself, where he's professor, bright young professor, there his governor is, powerful as he may be, collecting up all the relics of the land. And then just nearby in a neighboring town, so many of the people in Wittenberg had gone out to see the huckster salesman, Johann Tetzel, hawking indulgences when the coin in the coffer rings, Oh, the soul from purgatory will spring. And how many people just dropped in the coins thinking, well, there's safety and security here, or, well, why not? I'll try and, you know, have it in with God this way, and maybe there's another way. Who knows? I don't know. Those times seem so far away, over 500 years ago. But... When you look at how people have handled salvation and when you look at how people have dealt with things, they're not too far from the 21st century. The 95 Theses of Martin Luther are a grand, we need to talk. How does the talk go once those theses are posted, distributed for a discussion to take place? How does that talk go? Well, seemingly one-sided, that's for sure. That one side saying, shut up, you're wrong. Be quiet. You cannot question us. We're the authority. Be quiet. And the other side just saying, can we just talk about this? We've got some issues that need handling. It escalates rather quickly. Luther being very quickly called a heretic rather than just giving, given an ear. No, he's a heretic. He's to debate a formidable foe in Leipzig. And then in June 1520, he's given 60 days to recant or face excommunication, be declared an outlaw, to be killed upon sight. And in December, Luther steps out of the gates of Wittenberg and burns the papal bull. That January, quickly after that December, he's officially excommunicated, declared an outlaw, fit to be burned. But that April, four months later, the Diet of Worms, Worms, right? If you want to be German about it, Diet, right? 
But we're Americans, so it's diet of worms. And all the kids in the room say, why were they eating worms? Worms are icky and gross, right? It's a place in Germany, right? A town. Now, it's not a town near Wittenberg, though. It's a town way along the Rhine, far from the Elbe River, over on the Rhine River. And what would happen at that diet, that diet of worms, that meeting? On day one, where Luther was there, he was asked two questions. Are these books yours? Do you recant? He asks for time. Stalling, right? But he had just seen the one who had, you know, he'd been reminded of Jan Hus and his burning at the stake when he was invited to speak at a meeting. So that might be a little on his mind, that maybe his very own death is right before him and imminent. Can I have a day? The next day, he's asked the same questions. Are these books yours? Yes, they are. Unless you've edited them or somebody else has, these are my works. And then Luther proceeds into a lengthy answer, a long answer, about his works, that they're not all the same, that some maybe were more forceful than others. Some, hey, even the Pope agrees with himself. How can I recant all of these things if the Pope himself says he agrees with some of them? Doesn't make sense. But then we get a typical congressman move, and we're familiar with this nowadays, where it's it's a yes or no question. Stop all this jibber-jabber and acting like you can get away with talking on my lot of time. Yes or no, do you recant? Luther was asked by Charles V to repeat what he had said in German and in Latin. He was told to answer simply and without the art of oratory, whether he would track his statements or stand by them. And he then concluded with the most famous passage of his speech. Since your most serene majesty and your highness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And our Lutheran hearts are in some strange Wesleyan way warmed, right? The warming of our hearts, the shivers in the liver, and oh, we just love it. We embrace those words. And it's not only Lutherans who embrace those words. Here I stand, I can do no other. Man, what a moment in time where you have one guy with the arrayed might of the world right in front of him, and he says, no. Bam. When does that happen? How many times in the history of the world has that happened? And we have one moment where we can say, Yeah, and it was our guy, right? But the secular embrace Luther, too. They don't care about the Word of God component whatsoever. They say, yes, that was one individual standing for freedom. 
the rights of the individual against tyranny. Like one guy standing in front of a tank. There was Luther, standing in front of Charles V. And then they turned Luther into a herald of liberalism, progressivism. It was all about change, and he was fighting the man and the patriarchy and all this nonsense and stuff. And they've never read a lick or a sentence of Luther. Why was Luther so bold? Did he just have a death wish? Did he just not care anymore? Was he just that smart? Maybe he didn't know what trouble he was getting himself into with these words and writings? Luther was so bold because God had his moment with Luther. We need to talk. Luther was blessed through his studies to crack open a Vulgate and to read God's word. Blessed with the ability to read God's word. And he started hearing what God had actually said rather than what others had said that God had said. That was all hearsay, and there was a lot of fluff and stuff added to it, a lot of layers. But man, the word of God shines so clearly right into Luther's eye and right out of Luther's mouth. How many opportunities did Luther have after he had read those passages of scripture to turn on the word, to not be bold, to just say, you know what, I'll shut up and I'll just live it up here in Wittenberg. I'll be, it'll be okay. I'll have a nice, quiet, and peaceful life. The Elba River isn't so bad. But no. How many times was it? This is the faithful confession. I can walk away from it if I want to, but I can't. I have to be bold. I have to speak. Who else will? How many times at the Leipzig debate could he say, you know what, Eck, you're a really smart guy. That's okay. You know, and these people, by golly, they're poor and dumb, and if they just want to think that putting coins in a coffer will help them out, so be it. At least they're coming to church, and that's what we care about, right? The numbers. Budgets balance. The churches are packed. Who cares about the doctrine? 21st century isn't so far away, is it? My goodness. God had his we-need-to-talk moment with Luther, and because God had his we-need-to-talk moment with Luther, well, we are blessed forevermore. God does this we-need-to-talk moment with you, too. Through his scripture and scripture alone, the Holy Spirit will work. Not apart from that, not in the quivers in the liver or anything else like that, not off in the field in the woods with a ray of light shining, no. Through his word, God speaks. That's the only way. And through his word, God sits you down and says, hey you, fill in your name, we need to talk. And in his law, he does have that moment. And it's a scary moment. Don't just try and play as if God is some kind little counselor buddy that he's on your pay. He's going to be nice to you and empathetic. He knows exactly what you're going through more than anyone. If anyone can have true compassion on you, it's God. But first he sits you down and says, brother, sister, we need to talk. And that is a scary moment for you and for I. The law confronts us with our sins. 
And yes, we can sit down and we can hear the Ten Commandments and we can say, oh yeah, those people over there, they're doing it and they're sending this world into hell. And then God says, okay, yes, we, we've had a good talk and, and those are issues that I would like to address perhaps with the world itself. But with you, let's talk about you. It's too easy to point the fingers at others, to throw them into a group and to say, to hell with them because they're bringing hell here on earth. We also need to take the moment to say, and how have I contributed? Where does God say to you and when and in what way does he need to have his talk with you? To point out the sin in your heart that we can't shy away from. That he will sit down and be quiet and stare you down and just say, I know, let's make this awkward. I will stare at you until you confess your sins. He's content to let it be awkward. He's content to say, we need to have a big conversation here. And I suppose we wiggle. We say, okay, God, I've, I've heard you. And then we go about our business and ignore God. There's so much stuff to do, after all. There's so many things that can entertain us. What shiny little screen can we put in front of our face again? How often can we keep the scroll going and the Bible sitting? We act as if it doesn't matter. I've got things to do. I'm in college now. I don't have time for church. I've got too much stuff going on. What time do we have for God? Or we go with the other route. Intensity, right? I will do it now for you, God. I will show you that I love you. I will commit to rigor. We puff ourselves up and tell ourselves we're doing it. Or probably the more likely route... It's the route that Luther had to confront head-on. We set up little mediaries. We're fine with indulgences. We're fine with relics. And we call it piety. We're fine with routines and just say, that's enough. That's enough of God today. I've, I've had my ten minutes with Him. And now I'll go about my business. As if those ten minutes didn't impact the other 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day. We trust in our works. We may not trust in them wholly, but we say, you know, I've, I've at least done what I call enough. Or, I've meant it, right? God knows my heart. Yeah, he does, and that should terrify us. <laughs> he knows all of it. Not just the parts you're willing to reveal to him and to others. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We have pride here on Reformation Day and we love to click our heels and we love to be able to stand for a mighty fortress. And we love to hear the speech, here I stand. But we must remember that Luther was only so bold because Christ stood before Luther in his word with all his works, Christ's works, for us lowly sinners. 
All grace. All grace for you. All God's body and blood for you. Not as some relic to be paraded around, but as he said, to take, to eat, to drink, to be forgiven, to have God before you. This is the Christ who stands before you. This is the one who was crucified for your sins, who paid for them all. And I suppose, yeah, we Lutherans, we get a a little moment where we want to have our hear our stand time. We would say, though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us and take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let them all be gone, right? We got our victory, right? Well, the devils are all around in the world, folks. And they may take your life, your goods, your fame, your child, your wife. And so those we-need-to-talk moments are out there, too. We're not to hide away behind, you know, tucked away and and being weak and, and just pathetic, really. We need to go have those we need to talk moments with others out there. And they will give us plenty of opportunities to cave, to not do it, to just be quiet about the faith and then go and complain about the world. It's a nice routine we've fallen into. Will we talk? Will we be bold? Will we say the right confession and hold fast to it, come hell or high water? I suppose at this point we have plenty of opportunities to feel guilty and ashamed. We have failed to have the conversations that we should have. And we have failed in those very conversations when we've had them. We didn't say the right thing. Oh, if we could have that ticket back again on that day when I was talking to my boy. But now he won't even listen to anything about Jesus. There are plenty of opportunities for we need to talk in God's name. And we shouldn't see it as a terrifying to-do list, but only because Christ has revealed God's heart to us in his word, how we are saved by faith alone, by God's grace alone. And we love and trust in what God has done for us, and it is solely by his work that we are saved. So click your heels and say, here we stand. Because Christ stands for you always, and he is here. He has stood for you in your place, in our, the failure's place on the cross. And he pays for those failed conversations, those failed times of confessions. And he takes those sins away as far as east is from west. And in doing so, in seeing God's true heart, we are emboldened for the bold confession. It's the talk that God needed to have with us. And it's a talk that we will have with this world in his name, solely by the authority of his word, whatever may happen. That's the eternal gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.